There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Hello and welcome to the Power Chord Hour podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. As always, I'm your host, Anthony Merchant. And I mean, everyone and their goddamn grandmother has a podcast these days. There are tons and tons of them to go listen to. Thank you for checking this one out. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'm very stoked here with you for the second time this week. You know, if you've not checked it out earlier this week, I released my uh, record store episode because I do like I miss live shows. That's something uh, really like the biggest thing in all of this that like I miss more than anything like going, you know, going to crowded places or going, you know, just being able to go play without masks, any of that stuff, forget it. I, I miss going to uh, shows. I guess I do miss being in crowded areas. I miss being in crowded dive bars, you know, at a uh, nice sweaty show. But another thing that I miss is, uh, is going to record stores, you know. I mean, some of them are open right now, but obviously limited capacity, and a lot of them are sadly closing and everything. So not the same experience, you know, as the normal, your normal uh, record store experience. But, you know, I kind of sat and reminisced about them, some of my favorite ones in the country and all that. So if you haven't checked it out, go check that out. But this is a throwback episode. This one is from an interview that I did last year, uh, a little bit before the podcast. This was one of my last interviews before I started doing the pods. So this one never aired on here. And uh, I'm talking to Tim Rogner, frontman of Alistair, one of the frontmen. You know, obviously, if you know the band, they got, uh, they got a couple vocalists in there for you, which I always like. I love bands like that where, you know, you get a couple different voices that uh i don't know i feel like that i feel like that really adds to it you know it might be another reason why blink 182 is one of my favorite bands but alistair i mean this is like they're such a quintessential pop punk band and i know i talked about on our drive through records episode with my buddy zach you know we talked about our favorite releases but if i had to play for someone you know someone never heard pop punk before and specifically like early 2000s pop punk you know at its commercial peak i'd say um, and you know, I mean, even just drive, you know, if we're talking to even drive through records, like what's the song that represents that era, that genre of music, that scene, that time in music history, somewhere on Fullerton, I mean, by all means, I mean, everything about it, chord progression, the pick slides, the key that it's in the tempo, you know, the subject matter, like everything about it is just perfect. It just, you know, the best, the best part, like formula for just a catchy pop punk song and like they just like what they do in that song. I mean, it was enough for me uh, when I was in Chicago a few years ago to go stop. It, it was New Year's Day, so they weren't open, but I had to go see the Fireside Bowl to uh, you know just to just to pay my respects, if you will, you know. And uh, I would say if you write a song that makes someone go drive to uh, take selfies outside of a bowling alley on a day that it's closed. I'd say you. I I think I'd say that you uh, left an impact on people. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was so stoked to have them on. I, uh, you know, they're a band that I've loved forever, and I will always. Is just so underrated. Like like, and it is funny because people say like we're bigger in Japan, and it's true with Alistair. They are truly like way bigger in Japan. They play huge places. Scott Murphy of Alistair has a band over there in Japan with Rivers Como of uh, Weezer. You know, like. 
and he's a very big act. Like they're they're very big over there. Just over here, you know. I mean, I, I think people who are fans of the genre and drive through records and all that are uh, you know fans of them. But overall, do not get the respect and credit that it, that they uh, deserve. I mean, they just write such catchy songs. And uh, I was very stoked to talk to Tim last year for uh, you know their 20 years and counting CD where they did basically a best of, re-recorded some old ones and. Uh, and then some of the newer songs are on there as well, which is a nice like retrospective. You know, a band that's been around that long, it was nice to have uh, some range in there. And then they did a couple new songs too, like just so good. And they still do that. Like Alistair's one of those bands that knows what they're good at. And they, you know, like I feel like every album, they stick to that. Like they'll do things like Life Behind Machines, you know, they kind of – they did like a couple of different things that were different for Alistair, but they never like fucked it up so much by doing something so left field that you wouldn't enjoy it anymore. You know, like they didn't do that. Even kind of going back to a few weeks ago, our uh, Slept On Records episode where like I was talking about that where and, and a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes, I guess it depends who we're talking about, but like sometimes man will go like far left field and I'll really enjoy it. Even though it doesn't sound like them, I'll be like, okay, that's one of those ones where it's like, you should have released it under a different name. Maybe people liked it more, but Alistair's always been smart. I think they know what they're good at and you know, they stick to their strong suits. And I appreciate bands who do that. Like to be, and I, I really mean that like, there are bands who go out there and they take chances and do different things. And there's respectable things in that. But honestly, there's something respectable too in going, we know what we're good at. And we're going to keep doing it. You know what I mean? And not like beating a dead horse, like nothing like that. They just know the best way to go with them. They know that if they do, that no one wants to hear an EDM record from Alistair. You know what I mean? Like that. Like they know they're a pop punk band. And, you know, like they they wear their influences on their sleeve. They know what the fans want to hear. And, uh, you know, I feel like they always deliver. They're just a great band. I had such fun talking to Tim. And uh, maybe here in 2021, I'll uh, hit him up again. Last Stop Suburbia turn in uh, 20 next year so yeah maybe have him back on to uh, talk about that and everything but I had a blast talking to him on this it was a nice fun one and we you know it kind of got into the band's career too since we were talking you know they're doing that greatest hits for 20 years so obviously we get into the history of the band they've been around for a while but uh, yeah such a great band listen to this interview then go listen to a bunch of Alistair and uh, you know if you haven't heard like like if you are familiar maybe with like those old school uh, albums from like their drive through era, they've put out some great records since then that I definitely say go check out. Because once again, like big in Japan but don't really get the distribution over here. Like they had a few albums that didn't even get released over here except for digitally. Like Life Behind Machines, that never got a proper CD release. Uh, Countdown to Nowhere, the one before that, uh, that also I don't think ever got a CD release over here. Like you can buy them on iTunes and that's about the extent of it. So you know, and maybe it's a little better now. I mean, the uh, both of those came out like eight and ten years ago, so maybe in that time the distribution's gotten a little better. But yeah, go check those out because they didn't really get the uh, promotion and uh, exposure over here like they did over in Japan, and they definitely should be heard over here. They're great, great pop punk records. But uh, yeah, without further ado, here is my throwback episode. This is from April of 2019. Recorded this while I was still living in Minneapolis. I was in Minneapolis. He was in Chicago. And I recorded this in my uh, dining room slash studio. I don't know who I'm kidding. It was supposed to be a dining room. It was my studio. There was no... The only eating that went on in there is eating at the, uh, you know, next to the mixing board and my computer. There, there was no real dining room in there. It was my, uh, it was my studio, and I'm sure, I'm sure all my neighbors loved that. But uh, yeah, this is one of those fun ones. I always get a kick out of that. Think, thinking back to some of these interviews, just doing them in my, uh, in my studio apartment there in Minneapolis. Uh, they're really fun. I, I didn't do a lot while I was up there, and I, I kick myself for that. 
Um, just and this year I've been very happy because with the podcast we have so many more guests. But you know, a lot of times I uh, you know in previous years like this year I'm very happy. We huge guest list, bunch of people. But like in years past, I've definitely like gotten kind of either late like. Sometimes lazy on finding guests, but also sometimes you just hit up people and for whatever reason doesn't work out or they don't get back to you. Like, you know, shit happens. So it's like things like that happen. But, uh, you know, last year I didn't have tons of interviews, but I feel like it was a year where the ones that I did have, they were all really strong and some of my favorites. Like I didn't do a bunch. I probably did maybe five or six, but those five or six were really, really fun and I really enjoyed them. And this is one of them. This is one of my favorite ones. So here it is. Tim Rogner of Alistair right here on our throwback episode of the Power Chord Hour podcast. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, we're talking to Tim to Tim Rogner of Alistair. The band recently released their new album, Best of 20 Years and Counting, which features songs throughout the band's entire career, with some of the older songs re-recorded, as well as four brand new songs. And we're going to talk about all of that, the new record, and 20 years of the band. So Tim, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Good. So, I mean, kicking this off, I've I've really been enjoying the uh, new album, and it's a great career retrospective. I mean, I feel like it kind of touches on all of the like really strong points of the band's career. Um, what was it like figuring out the songs to put on here? I mean, was that difficult at all, or were you guys kind of like at the beginning of this? All right, we we know exactly the songs that are going to represent you know the last twenty years of this band. Yeah. No. Thank you. Um, it was interesting. I mean, I think we kind of. We had an idea of which songs we wanted to put on there. I mean, you know, fan reaction is usually kind of your uh, your best barometer for which are your better songs, I guess, um, and you know the songs that that people want to hear. Um, and so, you know, we we probably knew going into this about seventy five percent or eighty percent of the songs that we probably wanted to redo. But there was a couple there was a good a good handful that we kind of debated about and we kind of thought, should we do this one? Should we do that one? Um but ultimately I'm really happy with the ones that we settled on. Um you know I think they they came out sounding pretty cool. It was it was weird too because we were we didn't know what to think about re recording some of those old songs. You know, we're like we're 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 old school kind of like punk rockers, and and we're kind of under the impression that look, man, you write a song, you record it, you put it on a record, and then you just let it die, and you let it sit there for for you know posterity's sake. And we were hesitant to go back and record some of those really old songs, um, but I'm ultimately really glad that we did uh, because I think they came out sounding even better um, in if it's possible, even a little bit more current, um, which I think is cool. And those, the, old versions, the old versions of those songs are always going to be there, so if you like those better, you can always go listen to those. Too. Well, I, I got to agree, too. I mean, production-wise, you, you did bring those songs, a lot of them, I mean, to current day, and even, I mean, like the Dead Ends and Girlfriends songs. How, how was it, like you were saying, it was kind of weird re-recording them, but it's like going back, like really those old ones that, I mean, we're talking 20, you know, like the, like yeah. the uh, album title, 20 years ago I mean is that just surreal like going back and like man I did this 20 years ago and like you have to relearn those songs I mean is is that surreal when you do that oh for sure yeah 100% yeah yeah, I mean yeah those so those songs were written I mean basically like you said about 20 years ago you know and they were the first songs that we ever really some of the first songs that we ever really recorded in fact a couple of them we even had like demos of before we we recorded the first record, 
You know, so those, those things, we've been hearing the same way for 20 years. And so it was pretty, it was cool to kind of go back and re rethink those songs and kind of reimagine them. I mean, especially on, on Dead Ends of Girlfriends, that record, man, we recorded that record for 700 bucks and we did the entire thing over the course of like four and a half or five days. You know, so I mean, it was like, I mean, you can hear it on the record. Like, I mean, just listen to how fast we played. We had no time in the studio, so everything was like, play as fast as you can and just nail it in one or two takes. That's what I was going to say. So, so I mean, on Dead Ends and Girlfriends, does that mean most of that is like one take? Uh, for the most part, I mean, a good majority of it. I know because that was back when I was playing drums. Oh, you uh, played drums on that? I, yeah, I played drums on that record. And so, I honestly don't think I did any song more than three times. <laughs> it was, we, we, we got it on either the first, second, or the third take. It was like, you know, it was just like, okay, it's, it's good enough. Let's live with it. Let's keep going. Do you think there's a charm, I mean, listening back, though, to that, where there's that, I, I, I feel like it depends, and I, and I want to ask you, because artists sometimes differ, but I feel like a lot of fan perspective would go, well, you hear that, but, it, you know, it, it's almost charming, like there's, there's a rawness, there's kind of an energy, you know, to the fact that you were that you were young and just did it in a couple takes. I mean, do you feel that way or were you more like, is, is it yeah. hard? Like, you know what I'm yeah, saying? No, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and that's totally true. And that's kind of why we were a little hesitant to re-record some of those songs. Because I know, I mean, first and foremost, like, we're all fans of music before we're band members. You know, we just love playing rock and roll and we like playing punk rock and we know what it's like to to be influenced by the bands that we used to listen to growing up you know and so i think back like man if like screeching weasel or the queers or you know if they ever recorded re-recorded some of those old records that are like really near and dear to my heart how would i feel about that and and, and i go both ways i love the nostalgia of listening to those original recordings but there's also a part of me that's like yeah it might be kind of cool to see what it would sound like spruced up just a little bit i i think yeah. you guys i mean i think you guys uh nailed it on the new one re-recording the old songs i mean were there were there any others i i know you said uh earlier when you were like thinking of it there was like probably 80 percent that you knew were like fan favorites to put on but there were there any old songs you guys were thinking about re-recording that didn't make the cut we kind of talked about, there was a couple songs from, from Dead Ends and Girlfriends, actually, only because that record was so old. Um, you know, we talked about possibly doing, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what songs from Dead Ends. It was either Residential Burglary or maybe Timing. You know, we thought about maybe revisiting those. Um, maybe Westbound from Last Stop Suburbia. Um, or uh, maybe like better late than forever. Uh, maybe a couple of the tracks on Suburbia, um, but you know, ultimately, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of glad we we ended up choosing the ones that we did, um, especially from Dead Ends and Girlfriend, Jacob and uh, and Mober. I mean, looking kind of looking back, I mean, it's a it's a it's a look back on the band's career, and going back to when you guys like started playing shows outside of like the Chicago area. I mean, like, do you remember the very first place that you guys played outside of Illinois? Yeah. So probably one of the first 
shows that we ever did outside of Illinois was actually in Indiana. And, I mean, so not too far outside of Illinois, but, you know, it was still outside of the state. But we actually opened for Apocalypse Hoboken and At the Drive-In. And it was like, yeah, yeah, it was like, I mean, this was probably 1997, maybe? Wow. Maybe spring of 97, sometime fall of 97. Um, I, I think, anyways, either 97 or 98. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was pretty wild. Like at the time I was a really big Apocalypse Hoboken fan. Um, I don't, I don't know how much notoriety they have outside of Chicago. I, I know you said, what are you from Buffalo? Yeah. I'm, I'm like outside of uh, Buffalo. I, I know who they are and I feel like some okay. of the people listening to the show, like would probably know, but, but I definitely get, get what you're saying. I know I don't know a ton of other people who know of them. Yeah, but they were pretty. They were pretty notorious in the Chicago area, um, just for just being fucking hardcore, man. I mean, these, these guys would put on a show, and it was intense. Like every time they played, and it was great. So I was a huge fan, but I didn't really know too much about At the Driving at the time. Like I had a lot of friends that were into them, but I wasn't necessarily. So you know that aspect of opening for at the driving wasn't as cool to me as it was opening for for Hoboken. And so I mean cool to look back on And then I mean like looking looking back how how soon did Alistair start playing shows and you guys got together? So we we originated as a three piece. Um and I started the band with with my friend John back in high school. Um and we John and I had started kind of writing songs together like either a junior or senior year in high school, and we and then we both went off to college, and it was just us two, and we didn't really have anyone else that we were playing with regularly. We had jammed with, like, a couple of guys, but they, they weren't really into punk rock. They wanted to play, like, Rush and Zeppelin and, and shit. Um, and so John and I both went off to school, and uh, that's where John met Eric, um, who, who joined the band within, like, a week of John meeting him, like, the first day of, of class. And so, and it wasn't too long after that that we were able to get together and finish writing a bunch of songs and start playing some shows. Um, in fact, I think the first show we probably played was like maybe two months after Eric joined the band. Oh wow! Uh, we played like, yeah, we played like in a classroom <laughs> at U of I. What was really cool at the University of Illinois back when we were eighteen um, is they used to have they used I don't know if they rented out these classrooms or if they just kind of like took them over but they used to um have shows in classrooms like in some of the halls really so yeah it was really cool so like they would get a pa and like we would set up our stuff and they would have touring bands play there i I, we didn't open for these guys but i remember going to see the bouncing souls in like an old dingy classroom less than jake um it was pretty cool i mean they had a pretty pretty thriving punk rock scene back in the the late nineties and at the university of Illinois Champaign. How, how many people, um, like, like shows like that, like were those decent size, like for like how many people, I guess, can you fit in a classroom for a show? Were those decent sized shows? Yeah. Yeah, they were. I mean, it, it, you know, it also depended on who was playing, but there was anywhere from, you know, I don't, I would say 60 to 150, 200 people there. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, that, that bouncing souls show that I saw was packed. 
Like, there had to have been at least 175 to 200 people there. And the place couldn't have held more than, like, 150. I mean, even even just the, the visual of a classroom, yeah, that's a lot of people for a classroom. Yeah. Even a college yeah. classroom. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool, man. It was a lot of fun. I, I have a question, and it's a little, uh, it's going back to dead ends and girlfriends, I'm not sure how many people know this, but I, w- I was looking back, and I noticed that Rose Sahibi from um, one of my favorite drive through bands, Cousin Oliver, he produced Oliver, dead, yeah. end, dead Ends and Girlfriends. And I was just he wondering, did. How, how did you end up recording with him? Like, how did, how did that decision for him to be producer get made? Um, it, it was actually, he was just recommended by drive through Oh, okay. Um, you know, because obviously Cousin Oliver had, had put out their record, or I think, on, on drive through or it was associated with them in some way. No, they did. Uh, they, uh, I actually think that was the very first drive through release, or one of them. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. And we, we knew who Cousin Oliver was. Like, we knew the band. We didn't know the people in the band, uh, but we knew who the band was. And so drive through kind of suggested them, or grow to us, and we're like, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, have him come in the studio, and he can kind of help us, you know, put some of these songs together and help us record. And so he did. And still to this day, my favorite thing about that record is his his fucking gnarly guitar solo on uh, Pictures on My Wall. <laughs> oh, he does the solo in that? Every time. Yeah, he played the solo on that. Oh, that is sick. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I know a random band, um, but but definitely something I was just wondering about. And, uh, I mean, kind of on the subject of drive through, how did you guys end up getting signed um, back there? And actually, you were you guys were one of the first drive through bands, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we were. In fact, I think our um, I think our seven inch that they helped us release was like number six or ten or something like that. Um, yeah, it's a weird story, you know, and it's it's so long ago that I, I don't necessarily remember all the details. Um, but, you know, when we first started, as soon as Eric joined the band, we were writing a bunch of songs, and we recorded, like, I want to say six or seven songs, just like on a shitty 8-track in the basement of my parents' house, and it sounded like garbage, and it was just total shit. But, you know, we were 18, 19, we were pretty excited about it. And, you know, so we started sending it out to record labels. Um, and honestly, like it was, it was record labels that we would just see in thank you lists of other CDs of, of bands that we liked. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, that wasn't really my role within the band. I didn't really handle that. That was kind of more John's thing. He was the one that kind of packaged up a bunch of these demos and sent them out, like just like physically mailed them copies. Um, and he probably sent out, I don't know, maybe... 12 to 15 tapes to, to some different labels and drive through was one of the only ones that actually responded. And they sent us a letter back and they said, um, Hey, you know what? We really like these songs. <laughs> they were like, they sound like shit. The production is <laughs> fucking terrible, but the songs are cool. And we like the songs. And they were like, record something else. You know, if you can go into like a real studio and record something and send it to us, you know, and, and maybe we can kind of go from there. Well, at that time, we had already um, planned on recording in, we had already booked time in a studio because we wanted to put out a 7-inch ourselves. Um, And so, you know, a month after that, we went into a studio, just a local studio in the suburbs of Chicago, and uh, and we recorded 
five songs, which we then pressed ourselves into our seven-inch called You Can't Do That on Vinyl. Um, and so we sent Drive through a copy of that, and they were like, we really like this, we love this, we want to help you put it out, and we want to do a record deal. And we were like, fucking A, all right, let's do it. Very nice. So, yeah, so that's kind of that's how it went. <laughs> and I mean, like, like drive through is kind of a good example of this, but you guys came up in an era where I feel like compilations did stuff for bands. I mean, do you, do you feel like, like, I mean, I know Alistair is on a ton of drive through comps and all the other compilations. Like, do you feel like those used to really have an impact on bands, like maybe early or like late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, definitely. I know, you know, when I was 15, that was how I found out about a lot of bands. Um, in particular, that's how I found out about bands like Homegrown and, and Final Thing Souls. Um, is that I got comps that they were on. I was like, man, this song is awesome. I love this band. Um, you know, we, I, I kind of lost track on how many compilations Alistair has actually been on. So I don't, I can't, it's hard for me to really gauge, you know, the influence that we've had on, on some of those comps or how, you know, readily available our stuff has been to people who, who have picked up those comps. But it's, it's absolutely helped our band, especially because of those drive through comps. And and how are the shows that you guys uh, just played in Japan earlier this month? I know you guys did a, a quick little tour over there. Yeah, um, we we just got back about uh, eight eight days ago, nine days ago or so, um, and we were there. I think we did seven or either seven or eight shows, uh, but they were awesome. I mean, they were they were great. They were probably some of the funnest shows that that we've ever done collectively as a band. Um, we were pretty stoked. Like every show sold out pre-sale oh nice um, so it was, yeah it was it was really really fun we, we got to see a lot of old friends um that we've known for a while since we've been over in japan a, a bunch um and we got to meet a lot of new friends on this tour too we had some some people kind of helping us out um and working for us that were really cool that that you know, hopefully we can keep in contact with as the years kind of go by. And then I know uh, next week you're playing an acoustic show, um, I believe outside of Chicago. Do you play a lot of acoustic shows, or is this kind of more like a special one-off? Yeah, you know what? It's it's kind of a, a resolution for me to start getting into playing more acoustic sh- uh, shows and just kind of doing that in general. Um, you know, like I... I I love being in a band. I love playing music. I just want to kind of get out there and do it. Um, and so, you know, my goal is to play uh, a bunch more acoustic shows this year. I'm hoping that I can even do, you know, maybe some shows outside of Chicago. We'll kind of see how it goes. Um, but, yeah, this one coming up next week on Friday on April 5th. Um, is in, It's like a south suburb of Chicago. It's a, so it's not too far. Um, but it's at a bar that one of my friends owns. And we've been kind of talking for a while. Um, he's like, man, you got to come and just play an acoustic show. I was like, how about we do it when I get back from Japan? You know, we can, I'll just come and play a bunch of Alistair acoustic songs. And I've actually never done that before. Oh, this um, is a first. So, yeah, this, it's a, this is a first for me to play a pretty much an exclusive Alistair acoustic set. Um, I've done some acoustic shows before where I've played, you know, some of my own solo songs. Um, but this will be kind of a first where I do primarily just Alistair stuff. But I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be cool. Are, are uh, Alistair songs, I mean, I know some people start start off acoustically. I mean, do you normally write Alistair songs acoustically, or are you going to have to kind of, like, 
switch him up a little bit to fit him on acoustic. Yeah, I kind of have to switch him up a little bit to fit him on acoustic. But it's cool. I've kind of worked through a few ideas, you know, to kind of change him up a little bit to make it a little bit, to make him a little more conducive to um, an acoustic show. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be cool. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm still free. Oh, very nice. So if anyone's uh, in the area next week, go uh, check that out. You said that was right in the suburb of Chicago, south suburbs? Yeah, it's in uh, yeah, the south suburb called Blue Island, and the bar is called Blue Island Beer Company. Okay, very nice. And, uh, I mean, for Alistair, is there any more planned for 2019 for you guys? Well, we're not 100% sure. Um, we're trying to work out some plans um, to possibly do just a short tour during the summer um you know we're kind of putting together the logistics of it it's it's difficult for us right now because you know we all have you know real jobs we all have kids and then scotty our bass player lives full-time in japan and plays in a couple bands over there so you know it's hard to find time for all of us to kind of get on the same schedule um but we're, we think we we may have some dates lined up uh, for the summer, but we're not 100% sure yet. So That that would be the nice thing. Uh, if you start doing more acoustic shows, you can uh, you can get out there more, play, you know, kind of get some more ground if it's just one of you. might make it a little easier. That's, yeah, and that's, that's what I'm kind of hoping for because, um, you know, sometimes when I'm available, the other guys aren't, and when they're available, I'm not. So, you know, even if I can do things just on my own, just you know, play some acoustic shows here and there, um, you know, kind of keep keep the band name out there. Hopefully people will come out and get a beer with me and hang out. I, I know I definitely will. I uh, I, I caught you guys <laughs> when you played uh, Buffalo last time, maybe 2014 with MXPX and uh, the one in Pittsburgh, too, like the night before. Um, so you guys, I mean, I try to catch you any time, but I know you don't play the States as much. So, yeah, that would be cool. that would be so cool if you started doing acoustic shows. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm actually just now starting to kind of think about maybe doing just a short acoustic tour. So I don't have yeah. any details. Like I said, it's just in the planning stages, but um, definitely keep an eye out for it. No, that that it that will be awesome. And I mean, as we're as we're winding this up, um, you know, we're gonna have this interview, and then we're gonna play a bunch of stuff off uh, Twenty Years and Counting. And I and cool. the, the first song we're gonna play is the new version of Somewhere on Fullerton, and it uh, matches. I had a buddy who had a question for you, and it goes along with it. He was wondering on the original recording of Somewhere on Fullerton, what guitar and mm-hmm. amp did you use on that? He says he absolutely loves the sound on that song. Oh, cool! Thanks. Um, yeah. So on that record, I think the majority of that record, I was using a. Uh, a Fender, I think it was a Texas Fat Strat with a humbucker pickup in it, and I was playing, uh, we kind of alternated um, amps uh, between songs. I'm pretty sure on that one I was going back and forth between a Matchless and a um, JCM 800 and probably a dual rectifier. I, I did guess the 800 right when he when he asked me that question. I was trying to guess what you played, and I did guess an 800 on there. <laughs> that was the one I got right. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the, I mean, they do have, have a pretty distinct sound, which I, I like. And I, I got to agree with them. I mean, I, th- I think that record has some really nice production. And I, and while we're on the subject, actually, of gear, 
um, on the new record. I mean, what what did you play primarily on the new album? So, so this is pretty interesting, right? So, because we have such busy schedules, um, and we don't get a chance to get together very often, and like I said, Scotty lives in Japan full-time. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think he only comes back to the U.S. maybe once or twice a year. We had to end up recording this this newest record and re re-recording all these songs essentially out of my bedroom. Really? Um, yeah. And so, you know, and that, but that's what's so rad about modern technology these days is that you can do that. Right. And it still sounds pretty fucking good. Yeah. We went into a studio, um, to record the drums. We recorded all the drum tracks, um, at the studio called always be genius. in uh, I forget what town it's in Merrillville, Indiana. I think it's like an hour, hour and 20 minutes outside of Chicago. Um, so we spent two days doing all the drum tracks there. And then we took all the drum tracks back to my house. And I would basically record all the guitars and then send all the files to Scotty. And he would do all the bass. And then I would do all my vocals and send them all to Scotty in Japan. And he would do all his vocals in his house in Japan. And then we took everything and sent it to our buddy Mark, who mixed it all down for us. Oh, that's awesome! So, yeah, so I was I played most of the most of the guitar tracks I played um, using my uh, my Les Paul Junior. Um, there were some that I used um, a Gibson Special and a couple other ones that I used um, like a modified Ibanez. Uh, uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, but it's like a modified Ibanez. Um, and, you know, I just recorded that into some uh, some uh, guitar reamps, and then our buddy Mark just tweaked some things and made it sound pretty cool. I, I think it sounds great. I, I can't... It, it's funny on an album like this, I mean, if you, if you think back 20 years when you were recording that album, you probably never would have guessed that at one day you can make this album that sounds so good just from sending, you know sending emails to one another, just writing it. You know, you can you can now record and write music like that and have, like, yeah, high quality it, from your house. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And, and the, the coolest part about it is that now it gives us the opportunity to do another record. You know, we're kind of talking about, you know, starting the wheels in motion to do another record. Um, and since this one, you know, we figured out we were able to do it this way, you know, the next one's going to be a breeze. Very nice. Now, now we're uh, we're about to play somewhere on Fullerton, but before we do that, I wanted to ask you, since the song is about a fireside bowl in Chicago, the whole reason I even know that location is from this song. I wanted to ask you, what was your favorite show Alistair ever played at Fireside? Oh boy, a favorite show that we ever played there. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. They they kind of all blend together. I, we we probably played there maybe three or four times, maybe four or five. Um, and I don't know if I have a particular favorite. Like, none of the shows that we ever played there, like, really stood out to me. It was just really cool that we were able to play there. How about... You know, probably the, the first one, maybe, that we played was the most special just because it was the Fireside. How about uh, shows you saw there? Is there one that stands out, like, as a favorite or one of your favorites? Yeah, there's two. Um, so one, and probably my favorite, was the first show that I ever saw there. And it was actually probably the first show that I ever saw in my life when I was, I want to say I was like 15. 
um, my, I, I had a friend, uh, my friend Andy, had been to the Fireside and kind of started getting me into punk rock and started introducing me to new bands. And he was the one that told me, he's like, hey, man, there's this really cool place called the Fireside, and they have these like punk bands play. You should come with me one day. I was like, okay, I'll come and check it out. And, uh, and so I went down with him one night. It was like a Wednesday or a Thursday or something. And we went down, and it was this band uh, from Chicago called the Bull Weevils. And oh, yeah. From California, and the band from California called Rhythm Collision. And and I'd never heard of any of these bands before. I just went because my friend had kind of suggested it. And I'll never forget from the very first note of Rhythm Collision set, because I think they, they were uh, playing before the Bull Weevils. From the first note, I was absolutely fucking blown away. All right. It was the coolest, loudest, most awesome thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I just remember sitting here thinking, like, holy shit, this is the fucking coolest thing I've ever seen. This is what I want to do. That's awesome. Um, and, yeah, and, like, I'll never, I'll never forget that show. And it's funny because, like, neither of those two bands I would, I would classify as, like, some of my favorite bands, but they probably left the biggest impression on me just because it was the first time I ever experienced, you know, true underground pop rock. That that is awesome. I feel like that's a uh, a good uh, a good a good way to like close this off. And where can people follow you online? Where can they follow the band online? Um, yeah, we we just uh, put up a new website. It's uh, alistairofficial.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram um, at tim alistair, uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter at humbugrog. H u m b u g r o g. And are you doing the uh, blog at all anymore? I, I used to love reading uh, the <laughs> You Can't Do That on Tour. Yeah, you know what? I started that, and, and I, I was doing it for a while, and then I just kind of got busy doing other stuff and truthfully just kind of forgot about it. Um, I, I may I may try to pick that up in the future because that was kind of fun writing about some of those things. You have um, some great but, stories in there. That 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 uh, and Anyone listening, if you've never checked that out, you, you go check them out. Um, you can't do that on tour. That, that great, great stuff on there. Yeah, there were some. Uh, we had some good times on the road. That's for sure. Well, uh, Tim, I, I've had I've had a blast talking to you. Um, like I said, go check out Alistair's new album, Twenty Years and Counting. We're gonna play a ton of it off right off of it right now, and we're gonna kick it off with somewhere on Fullerton, right here on the Power Chord Hour. Somewhere down on Fullerton, that's a place we used to go to get away from it all. Somewhere down on Fullerton, that's a place we used to go to get away from it all. I'm still trying just to figure out why these feel so wrong when it felt so right. Felt so right four years ago. So please don't go away. Won't this feeling stay with me forever? Forever, forever, I said please 
What's up? This is Joey Cobra, and you're listening to the Power Chord Hour. Get through anything 